You're listening to OnRamp, and I'm your host, Carrie Fisher. And I'm your host, Shane Blackshear. Two Christians talking about race. Because everyone needs a jumping on point. This is OnRamp. This is OnRamp. Welcome back to OnRamp. This is the final episode of season one, and we're going to do a recap today and also answer the question, why? What What are we answering, Shane? <laughs> well, you see this a lot when people talk about race and issues around race, uh-huh. which is... Isn't talking about race in this way a little bit divisive or a lot divisive? Yeah. And right. we did get a version of that question, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and you'll I see that a lot online, especially if there's a blog post about race in the comments section. Inevitably, somebody will say, "Why are you being so divisive?" That's just a, a go-to for a lot of people for a lot of things. Yes, I definitely see that many places as well. I think we kind of want to part of what we want to do in this episode is just kind of pull back the veil of. Some of the things that we were thinking as we were making this podcast, uh, just kind of be really transparent. And I think we mentioned it at some point in one of the episodes, but we recorded all of those episodes over (laughs) mostly one day. Mostly one day. And then a little spilled over to the next. And so, you know, that's why you'll probably notice that uh, the episode order really changed. We kind of thought as we were recording, it was going to be one order. Yes. And then just as we kind of stepped back after they were all recorded, we kind of realized they made more sense in a different order. So that's why sometimes you'll hear us say, we already talked about this and we hadn't already talked about it yet. (laughs) So there was some rationale and some benefit to that, but we also maybe lost some people along the way with just a definition here or there. So Sure. But I think, you know, you and I were talking earlier Really, if someone listens to those episodes from beginning to end, they should get it all. Yeah, I think so. So here we are, and right at this point as we're recording, we've got one more episode that's going to publish. Uh, But in your time, listener, it has published. That's a little confusing. We're time travelers. Yeah, we're time travelers. Uh, So all that to say, we've got some perspective on it. We've received some feedback. Yes. We've kind of seen how uh, this is received. So one of the things that I've thought a lot about is that, one, so much has changed that we could not have seen since we recorded that episode or or this season. And we even talked about Shane. I remember explicitly saying, you know, we want... (laughs) We might want to build a little wiggle room in around our schedule because who knows, some major world events might happen or some tragedy could happen and we might want to speak to those. Yeah. And um, we didn't end up making any sort of new episodes in between, but definitely from the time that we um, created all of the original episodes to the time they published, it's like there's a whole new set of terms, policies out in the world around us. So what I think what we're getting at is the election hadn't taken place when we recorded all those episodes. And so you, the listener, if you were listening along, may have thought it was super weird. <laughs> that, that we weren't we, addressing that. We weren't anyway. addressing any of that. 
And I, it's crazy. I feel like that was years and years ago, but it was only a couple of months ago that we recorded it. Yeah. Um, we didn't even know that. I don't think I had heard the phrase alt-right at that point, yeah, and which has gone mainstream now. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, the other thing is I feel like looking back on those episodes, I'm constantly talking about like the subtlety of racism. And the weird thing is that in the last couple of months, all of this non-subtle racism has emerged to the top. Yeah. And, and as we sort of pull back the curtain, some of it has to do with, you know, sort of logistics of how we ordered things, but on a more personal level, some of what we're we've been noticing and talking about is that like even as we talked about some of those things Shane I had something in my gut saying well it's not always that hidden it's pretty out there and it and it was kind of like part of me wanted to trust your experience part of me knew that a lot of people who we thought would be listening to this certainly would fall the category of people who are you know don't identify in ways that are really overtly racist but um, so there's even a dynamic of what do I bring as a woman of color? and What do you bring as a white man that impacts our relationship and even how we address these topics, even though we're very close friends and have a trust between one another. So I just think that's an interesting piece that even people who are working really hard and who love each other, there's still this like fraught uh, part of engaging in this sort of dialogue well i mean i think it's just kind of a really good example of how i was i think i was blinded by my privilege to a degree you know i think the reason that i kept talking about the subtlety of it was because so often you will hear people excuse themselves Mm -hmm. from a racist system because they don't have a white hood in their closet. Yes, and I appreciate that you were wanting to point that out. Even then, I didn't want to insinuate that there is not overt racism, uh, but now it seems particularly glaring. Here we are two, three months later, where overt racism has really reared its ugly head. Yeah, and I think it would have been embarrassing if if we were aware if it had been post-election when we recorded some of these things and we're just kind of marching on along with um, all the subtleties of racism because it really has come come to our attention in a really robust way in the last couple of months. You know, it was so fascinating. I took uh, our, my, mine and Kate's three-year-old to the Martin Luther King uh, rally on, on Martin Luther King Day this year. And uh, it started out at the University of Texas and one of the speakers there, and I forgot, you know, what his position is, uh, but he was saying that he he speaks at that rally every year. And he said, on that day, he said, you know, every year when I speak in the past, I've simply addressed systematic racism because I thought that individual racism was something on the margins. And he said, this year I know that that's not true. And maybe never has been, but he thought it was. And so I think there is kind of a, for different people to lesser and more degrees, but kind of our eyes are open. It may be something that was always there that we just didn't really realize. Yeah, and I think actually some of the people I've talked to who've listened to this podcast have 
shared a similar sentiment that they're interested in this because they also had a notion that a lot of this was much more fringe. A lot of this was much more on the margins and it's just been thrown in their face in a way that they feel compelled to study and talk and do more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it was something that's definitely worth addressing now that hindsight's twenty twenty. Sure. I mean, I could not have told you three months ago that any of this would have happened. I mean, I would have, I would have swore to you that yeah. Hillary Clinton think, is going to be our next president. I think we probably did swear to each other. <laughs> I, mean, I think, yeah, it's it's pretty unbelievable. Okay, so one of the other things that I wanted to to talk about me personally in this episode was, you know, when we recorded this, Carrie, we try to be pretty intentional about switching off who took the lead in the episodes yeah. and who even just introducing it. And like this podcast, this creation is like truly ours. It's not mine and you're my guest on it. Like it's truly our, right. our thing. And I always wanted it to be presented that way. Um, and so when we were sitting here recording those episodes, I think we were pretty good and pretty intentional about switching off. Okay, you take the lead this time and I will next time. Yeah. Um, but because we switched up the order of those episodes, there was sometimes where there was a string of episodes where um, I would go to edit them before we published them and, and start listening and realize like, gosh, it's me introducing this episode once again. And, um, you know, I hate that it happened that way. And so I think for if we go forward with the season two, which we'll talk about later, we'll really be intentional about deciding beforehand what episode's going to come in what order um, yeah. for that reason. For Well, for, for many reasons. For yeah. many reasons, that being one of them. Um, and just to clarify, because we haven't really explicitly talked about what you're referring to right now, which is that there's a power dynamic there, right? That if you're always the person who is saying this is the show welcome back there's exactly. it seems to suggest that it's your show and not my show or our show and so although i never felt that way and didn't notice that it didn't end up going back and forth um it's certainly there is a symbolism there about who gets more um time and who goes first and who's loudest and whose vote wins in the end so well, it's, thank you for addressing that. We're talking about things like white supremacy. And so like, <laughs> surely we should model the opposite of that. Yes. Not that. <laughs> Once again, against that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're still unclear about that at this point. Um, and, you know, it kind of goes to something deeper that you and I were talking about a little while ago. I really do believe that the, you know, there's a thing called white silence. And, yeah. you know, I really believe that that d- does lead to, it, it leads to racism and it leads to violence. And being silent is not an option. And yet, being a white man in these type of conversations, I'm always trying to look for ways to listen more, to not take the lead. I don't want to come off as like, gee, it's so hard being a white guy. <laughs> Uh, but I also just want to kind of acknowledge that there's kind of an internal struggle in in me in these conversations, just trying to figure out where to talk and where not to talk, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I would say I've had I've experienced a sort of inverse struggle. And so I guess part of what we're trying to share is that 
though we sound so sophisticated and eloquent, <laughs> it is, um, there's a tension in how to make sure that we do this right and give our best selves to it and give away power and take up power in ways that maybe don't feel comfortable and we're still learning how to do even for ourselves. Yeah. Well said. So I think unless you have anything else to say about that, uh, we kind of wanted to address some questions that we were yeah. picked up along the way. Yeah. So we got a, a decent amount of feedback and some of that came in the form of comments on the posts online. Some of it came in the form of uh, comments on our Facebook post or Twitter and some of it came in reviews on iTunes. So kind of all over the place. Um, thank you to all who gave feedback and it was overwhelmingly positive and we we're really you know, happy to get that. Uh, some were, then what we're gonna go into, some were specifically questions for us. And so those are the ones that we're really gonna spend some time talking about. So do you wanna go to the first one? Sure. So the first question, and, and sometimes maybe we've combined questions a little bit or something like that. But basically, the first question is, why did you redefine racism as opposed to using the common understanding of the word? And one person described a more common understanding of the word racism to mean something like either you hate black people or you thought a black person's humanity was somehow less than that of a white person's. And so since that's the working definition for a lot of people sort of just out in the world about what it means to be racist and maybe even what the word seems to suggest itself. Where do we kind of feel the authority to say racism is prejudice plus power? And Which I, is what we defined it as in the first in episode. the first episode. Yeah. And so I guess some of our thinking there is that there have always been at least academically, um, some amount of disagreement maybe about what that term means, but there's also always been the idea that to be racist um, requires some historical and resource power. And so we didn't, we did not redefine the term for yeah, sure. Right. We would not have been so bold. We did select out of, you know, some various definitions for the purposes of our aim and goal of this podcast. And I think some of the, concern there or potential critique is that it's just that are we talking past each other if when I say racism I mean well that's something that requires systemic power and history behind you and when you say racism you just you mean something more like what we define as prejudice are we ever going to be able to get on the same page there yeah. and um I guess the question is I, I guess my response to that would be well, I don't know we might we might talk past each other sometimes but for our purposes, I think we're trying to get to a level of thinking that's just beyond how we've mm -hmm. maybe thought about things in the past. Is there anything yeah. you would say differently about that, Shane? No. I mean, so <clears throat> what I hear you saying is to, if, if the question is, why did you redefine racism? I think our answer is we didn't. Right. <laughs> it, has, it has always meant that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's a sociological term. Yeah. And that's the sociological definition. Now... As, as this person revealed, yeah, in everyday life, some people have had their own understandings of that, but, but it's simply, it's, it's not the real definition. Yeah, at least in, in some academic circles. I mean, I guess you, we could go back and forth about what is the sure. real definition. Who owns the word. Right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, 
once again, we definitely didn't make it up. And that definitely has always been at least a definition that um, people who study this mm -hmm. have have largely agreed upon. Yeah, so I think I think we certainly agree that we should be cautious about how we use these terms, even if we know the one best agreed upon definition of something, which th that's hardly ever true about any word. <clears throat> you know, when we're talking in our friend circles, we don't necessarily have to debate the point of mm -hmm. what does this word mean, but, but live into it and help people see <clears throat> maybe more full understandings of, um, what racism can look like, does look like. Um, I think that we're certainly not wanting any listener to use the term more casually, or, you know, to describe sure. people yeah. in their life. So <clears throat> question two says, it seems that at times people of color will want me to feel guilty about slavery. I am a white millennial and I am sympathetic for the history, but I don't feel guilty because I didn't do it. I was wondering what Carrie's response would be in case, in the case of a black person who mentioned slavery to me to make me feel guilty. So obviously I was reading a question that someone, <laughs> I kind someone... of forgot that they addressed you specifically <laughs> right. wanting to know somebody for the so context, somebody emailed this to me. Uh, cause my email was more readily available than Carrie's. So got it. <laughs> not that Shane's annoyed about that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not that it's a thing between the two of us. Yeah. Okay. Um, so once again, the question is if, if I'm a white person and it seems to me like people of color are trying to use slavery to make me feel guilty, what's going on there? What should I do about it? <laughs> Which is a very, um, tough question to answer, but. I'll, I'll start and we'll see if Shane has anything to add to it. I guess one thing I would say is that for any of us, when we're taking a learning posture and trying to practice counterintuitive solidarity, like we talked about in the first episode, um, it's pretty hard to know what someone is trying to make us feel. So I guess I would start there in my own life. And if I were giving guidance to one of my students or someone in my church is that, um, I think <laughs> a lot of times I might have used similar language to say, why is someone making me feel this way? And I don't always know the intention of, of what, why someone is sharing some information with me. So that would be one thing I would say about this. Another thing I would say is that it's certainly not the intention of our podcast to make anyone feel guilty because um, guilt probably is not that useful. It's not as useful as some other things like um, listening, contrition, uh, seeking to understand first and be understood later. And so... Um, I think that I hope that there aren't people in your life trying to make you feel guilty for slavery. But also, I, since this question is addressed to me specifically, I would say I also have experiences where I feel like people try to make me feel guilty for slavery um, for being related to people who were part of an enslaving system. And um, 
I don't know. It's it's sort of nasty all around, but I don't know. I think I've got some more thoughts, but Shane, do you have a way that you would respond to this? And then I'll see if I have other things I want to add. So, you know, just first of all, to the person who sent this, thank you. Yes. I, I, I don't want to shame this person. Um, I'm having a little trouble accepting the premise of it. Okay. I have friends who are people of color. And as you can imagine, I have these conversations. Yeah. Um, I just have never, it's never happened to me. And so I find that it's not the first time where I've heard this sentiment from people. That's yes. Yeah, and I, and I find that when they're talking about that, they're talking in a general sense that maybe they were watching CNN and there was a black person who was talking about reparations or, mm. or slavery, the brutality of slavery. And they've interpreted that as them making them feel, trying to make them feel guilty for it. Yeah. And so I would say that's not exactly the same thing as what this question might, the premise this question might present, like in your interpersonal relationship with a person of color, they are trying to make you feel guilty for slavery. And maybe that's not what this person was was saying, yeah. Uh, but but it kind of came across that way. So it, I would say, is there is there a way that people of color can talk about these things without you feeling becoming defensive and feeling like they're trying to make you feel guilty? Yeah, it's hard. Thank you. Um, it's 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 hard for me. Um, having not been exactly in those shoes, but, but sort of what comes to me as well is, um, that just sometimes I feel feelings that someone wasn't trying to make me feel. And so if I feel guilty for something, it doesn't necessarily mean that was the intention. And, and I don't know, I don't know this, this person's circumstance. So who knows what kind of people are in their life or, um, what they've seen on TV or whatever. I'm not necessarily trying to say that, um, this isn't a real thing, but I guess just what I've also experienced more frequently is that maybe, um, a documentary or a person is hoping to, um, increase awareness and compassion. And, and sometimes when we are overcome with something very brutal, something very, um, nasty and unkind and unchristian um maybe there's a pretty small divide between what it feels like inside to have this overwhelming compassion and hurt for someone and this guilt over Mm -hmm. it and maybe sometimes that gets mixed up in Mm -hmm. in our in someone's spirit because maybe there's a way to pretty readily translate something that feels like guilt or feels like resisting the urge to fall into guilt. Maybe we could, all of us in our various levels of privilege, when we're hearing stories that seem to provoke something in that area for us, maybe we could try to see, even if someone was trying to make me feel guilty, could I translate this to compassion? Could I translate this to grace or you know, just something else that does speak to us and seem like powerful and useful. Mm -hmm. You know, 
I think it would have been odd after 9-11 if the first response from the Muslim American community was, I didn't do that. It wasn't, I didn't make that decision. Mm-hmm. Or, Amer- or, you know, Americans with Middle Eastern heritage. Like, if that was their first reaction to it, mm-hmm. I think that would have seemed really weird and cold. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, yeah, that when we are, when we're faced with something so tragic, um, hopefully one of our first responses is contrition, compassion, compassion. Even if I'm not the person who responsible, I still like looking at another human feel their humanity. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and if my first inclination is to absolve myself from responsibility for it, Maybe I, I just think there's something at. a little <laughs> off there about that. The other thing that I want to say about that is that, no, as a white person, I didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't write. I didn't participate in slavery. I think today, and I think hopefully this is something listeners could agree with if they've listened to the episodes up until then. Uh, but as a white person, I benefit from that system today. Yes, absolutely. And I do want to say, I want us to be very, very clear that that's where the metaphor that you gave earlier would end because our Muslim brothers and sisters in the United States did they not, do not benefit. benefit right. In fact, you know, had so much ire and hatred yeah. their way after that happened. And so that is the big difference. That's it. I'm really glad that, because I was, my brain was starting to go there too. I was trying to figure out why at first when you said that, I thought, <laughs> I don't think that's the same. And, and, and it's because you didn't mean to take it to that full conclusion. Right, right. But what you're saying is so important because, um, yeah, even if you have never owned slaves, if by accident, someone having owned slaves in your family, as is true for me, um, you know, like I'm, I'm living in some of the benefits of that from the white side of my family, you Mm -hmm. know, that like, and that's um, such a sad thing to think that, that I could benefit from something so heinous, but it doesn't mean that I spend my days um, crying about, you know, crying about that or, being angry about that in in a way that leaves me um, paralyzed, but instead that makes me feel like how can I make sure that 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 sort of thing in the world happens less and less and less and less. Yeah, and I don't feel guilty about being white, but I've also never got the got the feeling that a person of color wants me to feel guilty for being white. Yeah. Good. You know, I, I mean, I think that's part of a healthy understanding of, uh, of these issues is that I'm like, I didn't have a choice about what, what ethnicity, what race I was going to be for that on its face. I don't feel guilty about it, but there's all these things that happened before me and the way I respond to that, I do have control over. Mm-hmm. So I guess now let's get into kind of all the, all the episode up until now has kind of been a recap and addressing some questions. We want to kind of make this episode a recap and then also kind of its own thing and address something. Yeah. So I think 
we might have mentioned it up top. Is that the right way to say it? <laughs> That's how they say it in the biz. Toward the beginning of this episode. But um, sometimes just the act of putting something out there in the world like OnRamp, the act of having what I think are courageous conversations about race, the act of naming racism, um, pointing out systemic flaws, things like that. Sometimes we hear um, and we've seen that people wonder isn't bringing that sort of stuff out to the light and talking about it over and over again isn't that actually creating more division between the races because now we got all these people of color thinking about all these privileges that white people have and we got all these white people worried about whether they should be guilty about how black people are feeling and and actually i mean if we just kind of talked about it less or shined our attention somewhere else, actually maybe things would even out a little bit more and and we would be more unified. And, and this type of thing that feels so good maybe to some certain, t- certain type of person to talk about might actually be creating a division between us. Mm-hmm. And so what do you think about that, Shane? <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, and I think there's, there's kind of this attitude of like, we were all getting along before Fine. you brought this up. Yes. Like, why did you do that? Yeah. Things were peaceful, and now there's all these feelings and anger, maybe. And I see that as the go-to response so many times. And, I mean, I see it on Facebook, it seems like, almost every day, um, where someone will post something about something concerning, uh, you know, maybe it's unequal treatment of people of color in the justice system or police brutality or anything kind of acknowledging racial tension and someone promoting that as saying like, we've got to do better or we need to address this. And so often the response is, this is so divisive. Why are you being so divisive? Uh, I've heard people say that Barack Obama was divisive because he talked about race. Well, and because actually there's all of this, like all these, um, unarmed black men and stuff getting killed <laughs> happened while president Barack Obama was, pre- you know, there's this, there's this idea sometimes that like under his presidency, actually people. Oh, it got worse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Things between the races got worse. So right. he was probably right. You know, it's so fascinating. I used to think that like equality or at least it's conditions for people of color just gradually always got better over the years like yeah. and it was always the same steady stream pace, pace yeah. right yeah the thing that i think i've come to realize as i study like civil rights in in history revolving around race is that there are like ebbs and flows and you look at like the strife of the civil rights movement in the 60s and it seems as though things really got worse then mm-hmm. but the reason it got worse is because uh black people were being more vocal about demanding to be treated as human beings. Right. And whereas before, if they were, they were being quiet and accepting, if they were, they're mm-hmm. being quiet and accepting the system as it was. Well, it was kind of a let live, live, live and let, and let live, live thing, yeah. you know, but if they upset the system, now we're going to come down on you. And now there are more lynchings and there. Yeah. And so isn't part of what that really means is that, um, 
it got in certain in those fits and starts times it it gets worse for everyone it's all and really the other side of it is it's always been pretty bad for some people but other people were able to sort of ignore be blind to it be blind to it and so there there come these uh moments in time where there's yeah just enough emboldened empowered people who say it, it might be worth it to have less peace, to have better peace, more peace, mm-hmm. more complete peace down the line. Yeah. And so even something, I mean, we certainly don't put ourselves in the category of any civil rights activist or anything, <laughs> but even, even some of these um, conversations that for some people could feel fitful or divisive or pointing things out, maybe sometimes they do create um, controversy or make people feel more different than they thought they were but maybe that's because in the long term we need to see we need to see these differences we need to understand each other we need to figure out how things can be more equitable um and that takes some disruption yeah i think if someone you carry if you came up and you punched me in the face (laughs) and then you try to go on as with like it was business as usual then I would say like, no, I think we need to address that thing, you know, where you got real violent. <laughs> and you were like, Shane, why are you bringing this up? I just want to move on. Yeah. I just want to like, just why are you... let's get on with the podcast. Yeah. Well, and let's, you know, let's continue on with our friendship. Our life. Yes. You know, why are you, why, why are you bringing this up? You bringing this up again. Dividing us in our friendship, in our relationship. Yeah. But that's a great example. But that's not, and that's. The the just thing is, it's not that we can't repair a relationship, but you need to repair the relationship. You need to do the hard work. Yes. That that must be done to bring about justice, and and contrition as well. To say like I'm, I'm sorry. That's awful. I want to do better. I want to, you know, hey, we're Christians. Repent, right? Yeah. Um, and have reconciliation. But there's no reconciliation until someone admits the wrongdoing that was done. Yeah. And I guess what we're saying is sometimes, I mean, often the wrongdoing that we ourselves have done, because we continue to be humans that hurt one another and do bad by each other. But also sometimes even when you aren't the one who did the wrong, but benefited from the wrong. And that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, and as we talk, like, it's not like, you know, racism ended at some point in the past. Like the systems are still ongoing. It's, yes. It still happens today. And we need to work to, uh, you know, be a people who, who end those systems, who change those systems. That's right. And so in that way, we need to be divisive. We need to, to name those wrongdoings for what they are instead of sweeping them under the rug or pretending like they never happened. Absolutely. Well, what else, Carrie? Well, the only other thing that I do remember um, hearing from a couple of people is, well, what can we do? Like, there's some there's some notions of what can be done in each of these episodes, we hope, I think. Um, yeah. We've encouraged people to be humble. We've encouraged people to advocate for more diverse systems. I mean, there's been kind of some tips all along the way, but... I understand and I feel compelled also to think about, okay, so if someone really got interested and, you know, stuck with us and um, gave us feedback about 
what we've done together. We're so appreciative of all of that. And, and so if there were some other words of what should we do next while we wait to hear if there's going to be a season two of on ramp, what, how can we be, um, better neighbors? How can we be Christians to people who look like us and do Christianity like us and to people who are different? And so Shane, you and I were talking about this earlier that it's hard to think about what the to-do list would be for that because first of all, so much of what we've been talking about is this is not something that you can kind of take lightly and just jump into a foreign system and sort of say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hang out all in black circles now if I'm a white person or, you know, right. uh, There's just a lot of things that could be done without, gentleness or without wisdom and we certainly don't want to promote anything yeah like that so i i can think of one thing that when i've heard this question that i would give as a piece of advice or a tip and i don't know if you had other things that you wanted to add but for me i would say as a person of color sometimes i hear people say to me you know the truth is my eyes are open i know that i don't live in very diverse circles and the people in my office all look like me and the people where i go to church all look like me and I don't know, should I, um, where should I find ways to make my life more diverse in ways that are respectful? And how can I be a part of the, of helping if I do live in a sort of homogenous society Mm -hmm. as I experience it? And so I just always, what I think about, when I think about really when I've been the most hurt by white people in my life and mostly friends and people who I love is when they have allowed themselves to continue to benefit from privilege by not speaking up when something is really ugly or racist or wrong. Oh yeah. You know, and I know that on some level, practically all of us every day are having to sort of choose whether we fight this injustice or get our kids fit. You know, you know, it's like there, we can't, always speak up or do something about everything that happens. But I do think that many times over the years, I've had people say, Oh, I had this friend over and he just said this racist joke and I was so appalled by it. And I just cried to even think that he would say it, but I didn't say anything to him because that would have ruined the night. You know, (laughs) game night would have been over. (laughs) And, um, you know, or it's like, I have this boss at work and, I feel like he always, he always expects my, um, I don't know. Yeah. He always expects my one colleague to speak for everyone in their race or something like Mm -hmm. that. And I don't know what to do about it. And I, I think I would just say that once again, it has really, although I somewhat understand it, it has hurt me over the years to say, to think about, well, that's interesting because if I had been at that game night or if I had been at that office, I don't really have the choice to say like, it's okay. Or if I do, it's like further damaging my soul for all of the racist things that I've had Mm -hmm. to hear in my life and to just swallow another one. And maybe even particularly if I'm there at that party, I need you, Shane, to say, yeah, that's that's not okay. Not because Carrie's here, but because it's not okay. Right. And I, I'm offended. Yeah. And so I would say that's one thing is that like, for especially for, for some of our listeners who feel like I mostly live and work and play with people who look like a lot like me, I bet there's a lot of, 
intellectual diversity and curiosity diversity in those groups about to what degree someone is interested or has done much work around race. And so I think sharing some of the things you've learned, especially when you hear wrong facts or racist language, to be willing to give up some of your security or to ruin a night, to have to go home, to have to maybe take a break on even some relationships if if someone is perpetuating the sin of racism. Hmm. That's good. For the person who's asking this question that you're addressing as what can I do? Wanting racial reconciliation enough to ruin a game night is like pretty basic, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's one place to start. And yet difficult in its own way. That's right. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this might be like a cop out of the question of, you know, what to do. But I think it's very American to say, what can I do? Like I learned this new set of facts. Now I got to go, go do something. Yeah. And, and it is it is important, especially in this conversation. But there's just, I think there's just a lot of homework to do first. And so, you know, checking out these resources that we've mentioned, like reading The New Jim Crow, reading... Just Mercy. Yeah, Just Mercy, uh, Drew Hart's book um, that I can't think Troubles of. I've <laughs> Trouble I've Seen. Yeah. Reading those things, watching the documentary we mentioned in episode 10, 13. Like, yeah, we've mm. sort of created a syllabus for you. <laughs> <laughs> Once you absorb those things, like I think it kind of, you have some ideas on how to respond at that point. Yeah, and I really like your language. In fact, we were just... I was just in a group who was paying attention to the language of doing versus being. And I think that it is very American and very understandable to say, what's the first three things you would have me do to be a (laughs) better, less racist, you know, pro harmony person. And I get that impulse big time. But I think what I hear you saying, Shannon, that I totally agree with is that we've given you resources. I think I even have some more I'd like to give on, on show notes and, um, Maybe some of that, maybe spending some time in the literature of people who um, have experienced things differently than us, the the music, the food, the whatever else, maybe some of that means that we are being changed from the inside out instead mm-hmm. of from um, actions that sometimes actually these sort of, if we were to give you a to-do list of step one, go to this kind of restaurant, <laughs> step two, make this kind of friend, step yeah. three, you know, Sometimes what that allows us to do is to really be about um, that which is seen instead of that which is unseen. And also checking it off a list, too. And be done with it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I talk a lot in my (coughs) classes about how I prefer the term cultural humility to cultural Mm -hmm. competence because competence sort of can have an air about, it can really have either an idea of just enough or can have an idea of I'm the expert on this. And I think both of those are lacking. And the thing that I like about being culturally humble, in this case, we could say racially humble, is that I'm seeking to go on a sort of lifelong endeavor of learning and changing and growing. And it's not about like, once I um, get through this season in our country where things feel racially fraught, I can check off my five thing list and go back to doing life exactly how I did it before. It's it's more of a call to um, learning and 
learning more stuff that we didn't know we knew and entering into more pain, you know, little by little. Yeah. I, I thought of one thing that if I can share that's, uh, is like a real life example. You know, when you really absorb the, the message that we talked about in the episode when we talked about diversity mm-hmm. and you really start to see the times where there's a lack of people of color. So, so like real life example, a religious organization I am part of, mm-hmm. uh, there was a time at one of our gatherings where the people who spoke, there was a lot of roles being done up front. Yeah. Uh, none of those by people of color. I mean, like probably 10 people participated in this thing and uh, none of the people that were asked to do things were people of color and you know it wasn't because the organizers purposefully did that right it wasn't because and even you know the organizers like know about diversity and know about these things but I was able to later say hey you know I wonder what message we send when we have this amount of people who participate who serve in this capacity, uh, but we've but none of them were people of color. Like what you know, what does that say? Yeah. And and so that very very small thing. Christian conferences are the worst about that. And again, like you know, it's something that ten years ago I just would not have thought about. Uh, but you know, when a Christian conference has like ten headli- headliner speakers, you know, and none or one of them is a person of color. Um, That's a problem. Yeah. And I'm just going to, I think I've said something like this before, but I'm going to piggyback and say, and maybe especially a problem if that one person of color is there to talk about, about race. Yes. Yeah, it's like, okay, this person did their master's in, I don't know anything about theology, master's degrees, but insert something really important here, like uh, Hebrew languages. And they have to come and talk about, what it feels like to be black or something. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I see what you're saying. It's right. Like, right. Ugh. Yeah. And I think it matters to people, even if they don't get it to people who organize those conferences, it matters when you email and say, um, it bothers me that there's not a better representation of people of color or even I won't be going to this conference because there's not a better representation of people of color or because of how this was handled or even after a conference, you know, and it's, and, you know, this is what bothered me about this um, or was not good about this. Uh, That happens all the time because it, we're we're really bad about that. Just whatever, something about Christian conferences are just super, super bad about that. White Christian conferences. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We should talk about, the idea of doing <laughs> a season two. Yes. Um, That's an idea. You know, I really love what we did with season one. Like I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, like we talked about, I think the feedback was really good. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to say, I would, I, I just really love the idea of season one, getting that into churches. Like I think we were really, uh, purposeful about that being what's called evergreen content that oh, yeah. like 10 years from now, that's perfectly applicable 
and something that people will need to know. Yeah. And so I love the idea of like small groups listening to that together, Sunday school classes, you know, what have you coming, you know, listening to it on their own and coming back and talking about it, things like that. And so I would just really encourage people to get that, you know, into the groups. Um, we've had at this point, again, we don't have a tally of all the episodes that are out, but we've got about 10,000 downloads of this podcast and is that's not bad by any means. Um, but I just, I really believe in the content so much that I think that a lot more people, um, need to hear those things. And so, yeah, so I want to put that out there. And the other thing is the idea of the season two, like, I feel like we really covered a good, a good, um, you know, kind of volume one of issues surrounding it. But there's so many more that we could talk about, so many more, you know, different angles. You know, I think one from the listeners, we want to know if you've benefited from this, if you think that a season two would be a good idea, let us know. You should let us know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You can't let Carrie know because she has no presence (laughs) online whatsoever. I stay very connected to my good friend Shane, who (sighs) has been so good to send me your well wishes and requests for Twitter. What is it? The most question, the the most, uh, the question we got the most was, (laughs) what is Carrie's Twitter? (laughs) Or second after that is, why can't I find Carrie on Twitter? Yeah, so just to clear that up. Third after that is, why can't, why can't I find Carrie on Facebook? Shane is not hiding me from anyone nor is he pretending that i'm a real person and really just (laughs) this is definitely not me doing two voices (laughs) no no i just don't have a social media presence at this moment but all of that is to say that um we would love to hear what your thoughts would be for a season two would you listen to it um what would you like to are there things that you have questions about that you'd like to know that you think would be a good whole episode or anything else yeah just like if you have an idea for a topic yeah for, for us to cover that would be good so yeah definitely first question is would do you want it yes would you listen to it and second is you know if so what kind of things would you like to hear covered yeah we eagerly eagerly await your feedback so i guess that is the end of episode or season one. Oh, i'm sad but happy and proud thank you <laughs> Hey, everybody, um, sincerely, thanks for listening. Yes, agreed. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of OnRamp. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review OnRamp on iTunes to help keep the show front and center. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.